For those of you who are new to our congregation, maybe you are watching for the first time on YouTube or on Facebook or on our uh, church website, newlife.nyc. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and it is a joy uh, to worship with you and have you uh, in this space here uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, We've been on a series of teachings and um, focused on, where's my podium? (laughs) I mean, here he is. the, uh, we've been focusing on the metaphors of the church, and, um, and I'm going to continue actually to, to, to summarize and to give a final word on, on this series on what Jesus has to say about the church. And before I get into that, I just want to say, uh, over the past few weeks, I have been tuning in, uh, watching online because I've been on vacation, and one of the things that I recognized uh, watching the service from home is how easy it is to get distracted. How easy it is to get distracted. You got kids, you got all other kinds of stuff that's going around in the apartment, at home, whatever. Uh, so I want to encourage you to, to try to stay connected during these times of worship. And there are really two ways you can do that. Uh, one way is if you take out maybe a notebook, a journal, something to write on, something to write with. And as the sermon is going on, uh, write down words that you think God is speaking to you. What does, is, does God, how is God's word penetrating your heart and applying to the particular time you, and season you find yourself in? That'll help you to stay meaningfully connected during this moment. Additionally, for those of you on social media, feel free as the message is going on to, in the chat section, just write some things. How is God speaking to you? What's resonating? That helps you to stay connected in terms of what God is saying in this particular moment for the next 25 uh, to 30 minutes or so. Uh, But today we're going to look at uh, words that Jesus has to say about the church from Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse number 13. And I see this as a kind of postscript to the series that we've been on for the past six weeks. And so Matthew 16, beginning in verse number 13, hear the word of the Lord. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we ask in the midst of turmoil in our country, in the midst of our own personal uh, disorientation, that you would speak to us profoundly through these words. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Throughout the course of the series, we have explored various metaphors of what the church is. And over and over, we have articulated this core truth 
that really speaks to why we need this metaphor. And the truth is that, that the church is not an event, a location, a product, or an experience. When we talk about the identity and the mission of the church, it's important to say what the church is, but it's also important to say what the church is not. And we have to repeat over and over again that the church is not an event, a location, a product, or an experience. Do we have experiences at church? Absolutely. Do we get some products and religious goodies from time to time? Yes. Is the church located in a, and gathers in a location without question? Do we have events for our church? Yes. But the church is not fundamentally an event, location, product, or experience. We've talked about the church is the family of God. We've talked about in this series how the church is the body of Christ. How the church is the flock of God. How the church is citizens of heaven. The church is the temple of God. But today I want to offer a postscript, a PS. And I want you to hear what Jesus says about the church. Before we move on to anything else, what does Jesus say about the church? And what he says is incredibly powerful for our individual lives, for our local congregation, and for the church as a whole. In our text, we pick up in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is the center of pagan territory. Lots of rival gods would be prominently showcased at Caesarea Philippi. And so in verse 13, Jesus takes his disciples to this place and he asks them an important question. Who do people say the son of man is? It's an interesting question. Jesus wants to know what's word on the street about me. What are people on Twitter and Facebook saying? What's going on at the local barbershop and beauty salon? What are they saying about me? And his disciples respond immediately. They have the answers. They know what's happening on the street. They say, well, some say you are John the Baptist. Come back to life. Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are Jeremiah. Some say you are another prophet. And Jesus hears all that, and then he begins to ask his disciples his own question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And the emphasis is on the word you. They know what other people think, but Jesus wants to know, what do you say? What do you think? And this is an important question, a question that people will need to return to at every generation. And we need to be confronted with this question because how you answer it will determine how you live in the world. Who is Jesus Christ to you? If you walk down the street in your neighborhood and ask 20 people, who is Jesus Christ? You might get 20 different answers. But what do you say? What do you think? Is Christ just a teacher to you? Is Jesus just a prophet to you? Is Jesus just a good human being to you? A figure of human history to you? A ticket into heaven to you? Or is Jesus something else? Who is Christ 
to you. And so Jesus asks this question, and Peter raises his hand and answers. And I just love that about Peter. You knew Peter was going to be the one to answer the question. Because Peter is always first at everything. Peter's the impulsive disciple. Always the first one to do something. Peter's always the first one to put his foot in his mouth. Peter's always the one to fight first. The one who's walking on water first. The one who denies Christ first. The one who preaches Christ first. You just knew that Peter was going to answer the question. And so Jesus says, what do you say about me? And John was about to say, well, Lord, what, this is what I say. And Peter just pushed him away and said, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And the word you, you are, that's what's emphasized in the Greek language. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are it. In Hawaiian language and in Hawaii, there is a Bible translation called the Pidgin Bible Translation. P-I-D-G-I-N. And uh, uh, there is a language basically called Pidgin English which is an English-based Creole language that's spoken in Hawaii by over 600,000 people. And they have a translation for this language, and it's called the Jesus Book, D-A, the Jesus Book. And the Hawaiian pidgin translation of, this, of Peter's confession translates like this. Simon Peter say, you the Christ guy. The special guy God when sent. The God who alive for real kind, you his boy. And I just love that translation. You the Christ guy. That's what Peter's saying. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus hears this word and he goes, blessed are you, Peter. Why? Because you didn't get that from a book. You didn't get that from watching some church's live stream. You didn't get that from watching Christian television. You didn't get that from a revelation from a human being. You got that from the Father in heaven. And so Jesus seems to be surprised at this moment. Because up to this point, Jesus had not given them this part of information about his own identity. But see, Peter seems to be caught up in a wavelength of, from heaven. And so Jesus is surprised. Peter, where'd you get that from? You didn't get that from flesh and blood. You got that from my Father in heaven. Blessed are you. And so in turn, because of this revelation, Peter says, uh, Jesus says, Peter, I'm giving you a new name. And, and Jesus renames Peter and says, your new name is Peter. You are the rock. And, and he said, this is who you are, Peter. You are now, give me that, you are the rock. <laughs> you are the rock. Now, I don't know if Peter looked like this. I doubt it. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is his nickname now. You are the rock. And the, the principle very simply is this. If you get Jesus's identity right, you will get a new identity in return. Oh, yes. If you get him right, if you get his name right, if you get his identity right, you get a new name. You get a new identity in return. 
And so right after this, Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this verse is arguably the verse that has caused more division in the church than anything else. Our Catholic brothers and sisters interpret this verse to mean that the rock is Peter. And that upon Peter, the church will be established. And this verse has been used to theologically justify the established church office of the Pope. That Peter is the first Pope, the first Bishop of Rome, which has led to a succession of Popes from one generation to the next. And for sure, Peter is foundational to the church. But in the Protestant tradition... Protestant Christians have interpreted this verse to mean that it is Peter's confession, which is what the church is built on. And so, yes, Peter is special. Yes, Peter is foundational to the church. But the Protestant tradition, the tradition that we hold to at New Life, believes that Peter's confession is what the church is built on. A New Testament scholar, uh, Craig Keener, says it this way. He says, others who share in his proclamation, that is Peter's proclamation, also share his authority in building the church. And so Jesus takes this confession. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus gives a promise. And I want to focus on these five words and then the simple phrase after that. Jesus hears this and says, here's the word, the phrase, I, upon this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But I want to focus on those five words. I will build my church. Jesus first says, I will. I will. Jesus is making a promise here. And when Jesus makes a promise, you can be sure that is going to happen. He promised that he would die and he would come back to life. And he did it. And so if Jesus promises something, you can have great hope. When Jesus says, I will... He was speaking about his future endless involvement in the life of the church. And this is what we need to remember, brothers and sisters. That Jesus is active right now through his spirit in the building up of the church. And these words are important because it locates the health and the vibrancy of the church. Ultimately with him, I will. Now, those two words, I will, are, are a good reminder for a pastor like me. I have a tendency to put too much weight on my own shoulders. I have a tendency to believe that the success of our local congregation is contingent upon my performance. That the health of our congregation is ultimately contingent upon the sermons that I give and the leadership that I offer. And of course, I have a part to play. But I, have, I find so much consolation in the words of Jesus. He's saying the responsibility of the church is on my shoulders. I will build 
Now, this is important not just for me as a pastor, but for all of us as believers. Because these two words remind us that no matter what's happening culturally or socially, Jesus Christ is at work. At work in your life this very moment. And one of the challenges we have spiritually is understanding what Jesus is doing right now. And one of the reasons we have this challenge is because the, the, the Bible gives language that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when we think about that image... It seems as if Jesus for the past 2,000 years has just been sitting. Now, first of all, if that's the case, 2,000 years sitting, I hope he has a good cushion and I hope it's, the chair is ergonomically uh, comfortable. But that notwithstanding, to say that Jesus is sitting does not speak about his physical posture, but speaks about his authority. To sit is a place of authority. And so, yes, he sits at the right hand of the Father in the highest seat of authority. But, he's, but to say that he's sitting means that he has all authority and he is active right now. And Jesus says, I will. I will build. And this is good news for us because Jesus right now is at work in our church and at work in your life. And I came here to encourage you today. Some of you are looking at your life right now and you're wondering, where is God? You're looking at your finances. You're looking at your marriage. You're looking at your family. You're looking at the social unrest. Where is God? But those two words, I will, remind us that Jesus is presently active. And we might not be able to discern his movement in the moment. But hold on to the truth. That he is actively engaged in your life. I will. And when Jesus says I will. He will. There's a difference between us saying I will. And Jesus saying I will. Uh, I know what it's like to say I will. And then I don't. <laughs> uh, Rosie the other day she put some papers on my side of the bed and said. Honey I'm going to need you to make some phone calls related to insurance and things like that. And she said I need you to do this. And I said I will. I got it. I will. I will do it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And by the end of the day as I'm about to go to bed. I'm taking those very papers on the bed and I'm putting it to the side. I shouldn't have done it with her, with her watching me. And she said oh you didn't huh. I said I, I, I will. I, I didn't say I will today but I, I will do it. <laughs> uh, someone write in the chat section if you know what I'm talking about. Okay but, but listen when Jesus says I will. He will. He's saying I will do it. I am, I am confident that I will follow through here. Two important words, I will, but let's move on. The next word Jesus says is build. I will build. And the first thing you need to remember, remember about this word is that the building is based on what Peter said. Upon the rock of Peter's confession, the church is established. Jesus doesn't say upon the United States, I will build my church. Say amen, somebody. Upon the Republican Party, I will build my church. He doesn't say that. Upon the Democratic ticket, I will build my church. Upon a particular personality, I will build my church. He doesn't say any of that. Upon this rock of confession, I will build 
my church. And so said it this way, the construction of the church is contingent upon the confession of the church. The construction of the church is contingent upon the confession. What confession? The confession that Christ is Messiah. The confession that Christ is the son of the living God. Which means, and hear this very clearly, brothers and sisters. Jesus is not building every church you see. And this is a hard truth to hold on to. Jesus is not building every church you see. Why? Because every church is not confessing and living out the truth of this confession. To confess that Christ is Messiah is at the same time to say no to every other Messiah that we believe can rescue us from this particular social, cultural moment. And so every time you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you are also saying, and every other politician is not, and materialism is not, and my, neck, my career is not, and success is not. To say Christ is Lord on one hand is to say that everything else is not Lord on the other. And so every church you see, I don't care how pretty the building, I don't care how many people are in it, does not mean that Christ is building it if the construction of the church is not built upon the confession that Peter offers. For Peter, it was more than just a confession of words. It was a confession of words that was lived out to the end. This same Peter would die upside down, crucified because of this confession, reminding the people around him who indeed was Christ, who indeed is the Son of God. And so in this current particular uh, political moment, it is dangerous. The anxiety that people carry is so great. Many churches have succumbed to putting their hope in something outside of Jesus Christ. But Peter's confession is what we need to be reminded of today. The other reason I love the word build here, Jesus says, I will build, is because Jesus is making something out of us. He promises to build a church. And those that make up the church. And this is a good word for those of us who feel torn down today. Some of you are broken up today. Some of you are disoriented today. Some of you, it feels like the, your life is in shambles. But God can build you up. God can strengthen you. God can lift you up. God can make something out of you. I will build. It's the third word, Jesus says. But let me go to the last two in this verse. I will build my church. And the emphasis here for me today is on the word my. Because the church belongs to Jesus. The church is not the possession of anyone else but Jesus Christ. 
The church doesn't belong to any pastor or leader, any family of the church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. Some years ago, I was with a, a seven-year-old grandchild of a megachurch pastor. And in passing, the little boy innocently said, My grandfather owns this church. And my eyebrows just went to the ceiling. And, and when my eyebrows slowly came down, I thought to myself, little boy, you better get your theology straight. Because the church doesn't belong to a personality. The church doesn't belong to a political party. The church doesn't belong to a particular family. It is sad that the church often runs like a family business more than the body of Christ. But the church is Jesus's church. The church belongs to Jesus. This is what baptism is about. Whenever someone gets baptized, it's a reminder as to who they belong to. I'm reminded some years ago, about 12 years ago, I had my first trip to a monastery. And I went to a monastery, and as I was begin, about to enter into the sanctuary to pray with a number of monks, I saw that there was a line in front of me with other people who were on retreat. And as they were about to enter, they put their finger in a basin, and they genuflected as they're putting their finger in a basin. And they went into and they worshipped. And at the end of the uh, service, the monk came down and sprinkled everyone with water. When I walked into the sanctuary, it was the first time I did something like that. I was a bit nervous. How deep would my finger go? It went way too deep. I really quickly just genuflected here. And, you know, the uh, uh, water just came down one of my eyes. It looked like I was crying as I was entering the sanctuary. A very uh, holy moment. And then at the end of the service, he sprinkled. Water got in my eye again. Delightful. And, and the next day... I had a question for one of the monks. I sat with him and I said, uh, sir, I noticed that upon entering and leaving the sanctuary, uh, there's water that comes to play here. Why do you do that? And he said, very simply, it's this. The water is a simple reminder of your baptism. And your baptism reminds you that you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. When said that way, uh, it makes me want to get a basin in our church here. Because we need to be reminded day in and day out. Who do you belong to? Let me ask you today. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to your job? Do you belong to your success? Do you belong to a particular way of seeing the world politically? Who do you belong to? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I will build, here it is, my church. You are my possession. And then he says after this here, and I want to end with this. That the gates of hell will not prevail. Hear that. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail prevail. Uh, I wish I had another 40 minutes to talk about this, but this is what Jesus is saying with these words. First of all, he's saying that the powers of death will one day be conquered. 
That there's coming a day that the powers of hell, that the powers of death will no longer prevail in our lives, will no longer prevail in our families, will no longer prevail in our society. And when we look at the news, it could feel as if the powers of death at this very moment are prevailing. But Jesus is saying, there is coming a day when that is coming to an end. But I want to tell you something else. That verse is not just for the future. That verse is for the present. It's often the case that the church is always on the defensive. It's often the case that the church walks in fear because of a changing society. It's often the case that the church doesn't live with prophetic power because we have substituted it for political power. But when Jesus says these words, the church is not on the defensive. It's often the case that this verse is interpreted in this way. That the evil forces are advancing. Hell is advancing and the church is behind the gate. And the powers of hell will not prevail over the church being behind this gate. But that's not what Jesus says. The church in this passage is not behind some gate just uh, resisting the powers of hell. That's not what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The language is not of hell advancing. It's of the church advancing. And who's behind the gates? The powers of hell. And Jesus says, those powers will not withstand the advancement of the church. And so hear this, the church is advancing. In the middle of a world that doesn't seem like it, the church is advancing. And what are we advancing? We are advancing the good news of God's love for a broken world. What are we advancing? We are advancing the, the call to serve and empower the poor. What are we advancing? We are advancing the power of God to rescue people from the deepest despair. We are advancing the name of Jesus to heal all sickness and disease. We are advancing and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so in this pandemic, new life, we're advancing. In this pandemic, we, not, we might not be able to gather, but we are advancing. We might not be able to shake hands and hug and gather like we used to at this moment, but we are still advancing. And not just our church, the church. Despite persecution, the church in China is advancing. The church in Africa is advancing. The church in Latin America is advancing. Whether you see it or not, the church is advancing. And I believe that the best days of our church and the church are ahead of us. Why? Because of Jesus' promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Somebody type in that Facebook comment section, amen, and amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Amen. Mm. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I want you to take a moment of just reflection for maybe about 30 seconds. How is God speaking to you today? 
And maybe on the chat section that you're watching this on, feel free to just articulate, this is what God is saying to me in this moment. And maybe you're journaling right now, you have a pen and paper before you, maybe you're in the kitchen right now, you've been washing dishes this whole time, and now you're going to stop. I want to give you a moment. What's God saying to you? What's this word mean for you today? Take about 30 seconds, and then we'll close our time together. But how is God speaking to you at this very moment? Lord, thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your presence through the Holy Spirit. And we rest in the truth, Lord, that in the midst of our social disorientation, you have not stopped building the church. Church buildings might be empty around this country, but you have not stopped building. And we give you praise for that. Help us now to find our place alongside you. To build in the way you call us to upon that confession. And may it be more than just words that we say. May we truly live out the truth that you are the Christ. The Savior. The Messiah. The Son of the living God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we close today, I want to invite you to a few things. It's been our rhythm at New Life over the past number of months in this pandemic that we have a virtual prayer room. And so if you're in need of prayer today, we'd love to pray for you. There should be a link on our Facebook or on our YouTube page or on our newlife.nyc. And you can uh, click on that link and just meet with someone to pray. If you need someone to just pray with you. We also have our pastor's virtual lobby. And that's a space, again, just to connect with some of our staff and pastors to say hello. And whether you're stopping by for just a minute or five minutes or so, uh, please uh, feel free to do so. And lastly, for some of you today, as you're listening to this, you have put your trust in everything else and all kinds of saviors, and they have failed you. I don't even need to know what savior you've put your trust in. But I'll tell you right now, it's failed you. Because the only Savior worth putting faith in and trust in is Jesus Christ. And whether that Savior has been money, whether that Savior has been politics, a particular vision of the world, whether that Savior has been yourself and your own willpower, whether that Savior is something totally different, whatever it is, it, it will not rescue you. But Christ can. Christ can forgive you. Christ can offer you new life. And so if you're sensing God calling you to follow Christ, to make a decision for him today, or if you want to learn just what, what that would entail, 
feel free to just text yes to Jesus at that number right there that's on the screen. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you uh, within the next day just to have a conversation about what this might mean for you next step. And I want to encourage you, whether you are a part of our congregation, whether you live in New York City, or whether you live in any part of the world, feel free to call. And we'll connect you with whatever church in your area. But don't let this opportunity pass you by to say yes to Jesus. We want to serve you along those lines. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We end every gathering with a blessing because the world is marked by cursing. And we receive so that we might be able to offer it to the world around us. And so with your hands in your hearts, in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, confessing with your mouth and living with your life the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one we've been awaiting, the Son of the living God. And may you offer that good news to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you. A blessing. See you sometime uh, next week.